Well, this morning, the title of the message is simply, The Incarnation Had to Happen. And I am going to try, as best I can anyway, to help us understand something that with the natural mind is pretty much impossible to understand completely. God becoming flesh in the form of his son Jesus. And yet, being fully God while he was fully man. So we're going to try to look at the incarnation. And I'm going to uh, give you a quick definition, a simple definition. Sometimes the incarnation, God became flesh. There's a definition. Here's another definition. The divine nature of the Son, Jesus, was united but not mixed with the human nature in one divine person, Jesus Christ who was both truly God and truly man. Uh, in spite of where we can get so distracted, this is what we're truly celebrating at Christmas. The incarnation. God becoming flesh on earth. And when we look at this, and you know, we have an understanding of why Jesus had to come and the whole sin issue, and we'll be looking at that a little bit. But sometimes, do you ever ask yourself questions like, God, couldn't you just have done something else? I mean, if you're God, like, just snap your finger and fix it. It would have seemed to have been a lot easier. But the answer is, uh, no, he, he chose not to. God can do anything, but he will not violate his word and what he has planned and said he was going to do. So to try to understand that, I'm going to start out with uh, an, an analogy, and if you're familiar with analogies, usually they somewhere break down, right? None of them are exactly perfect. But anybody here not ever been around a computer? Have you never been around a computer? Kathy's never been around a computer. See, that ruins my next question. Has anybody ever seen a computer? <laughs> well, most of us have seen a computer. <laughs> Yeah, the visitors may not know, Arnie and Kathy. But with the computer, we, most of us are familiar with them. Most of us have a general idea, well, how they work. That's probably a gro great overstatement, how they work. Most of us know what we can do with them. Most of the time, what we can do with them. Most of us know that there is the hardware. That's that equipment that you see there. The computer, the, a monitor, keyboard, mouse, all of those different parts, the hardware. And the hardware, as nice as it might look, really is totally useless without the software, right? The software. How many of you have ever seen the software? I don't mean did you see a disk. Did you see the software? Did you see the information? Did you see the code? Really, no, it's, it's kind of a non-material entity, isn't it? We have the software that gets put into the hardware, and that information, that code, causes the computer to do all the functions that it's designed to do, depending on that code. <coughs> well, most of you probably experienced what I've experienced more than once, a virus. We call it a virus. It gets into our computer. And some of those viruses can do all kinds of things. 
But whatever it does, <clears throat> it ruins the code. It changes the information. All of a sudden, different things in my computer quit working correctly. Some of them might quit working at all. Because this virus, this thing that I've never seen, I've seen pictures of some of them, but it's information. And somebody gets it into my computer, somehow it gets there. Probably because I clicked on too many things I shouldn't have. And here came this virus. So what do I have to do? Well, let's say, imagine with me, if you would, for just a minute. I've got this computer. I've got that software in there. It's working great. A virus attacks my own computer. It doesn't work very well. I get really frustrated. Really frustrated. So I go to the computer store, and I buy all new hardware. And I tell them, I'm really fond of the information that's in my old computer. I don't want to have to redo it all over again. So will you download all of the code, all the information into this new equipment for me? Great. I fixed it. Not so much, right? I could go buy a new computer over and over and over and over again. And if I just kept downloading the same information into that new computer that was in my old computer, that was in my first new computer, that was in my second new computer, my third new computer, I don't care how many generations of computers I buy, if I keep putting the same information in it, guess what? doesn't work, does it? Somehow or other, I have got to deal with the breakdown in communication. Somehow, that computer, the, the software and the hardware are not connected the way they're supposed to be. Something's wrong. I need to find someone a whole lot smarter than me with technology and go to them pleading, please, fix my computer. Get rid of this virus so I can function the way that it's designed to function. Get the virus out of there. Sometimes the code is so damaged that they've got to, they've got to remove all of that code and put in new software, a new code for a new, new program, right? But when I get that new program, that new information, that new code connecting the way it's supposed to connect with my hardware, I'm a happy camper because my computer now works the way it was designed to work and I can carry out the functions that it was designed to, to do. Now transition. In the beginning, God. It says that he created man out of the dirt, the soil, the clay. He formed man out of the earth. He's building the hardware. Imagine this man laying on the ground, the hardware, perfect atom, perfect physical specimen, just laying there. No life. And God then breathes life, breathes spirit into man. And all of a sudden, the hardware the physical part of man is connected to the software, the spirit of God, the spirit of life that's put in him. And there we have Adam. Perfect. Perfect. He is designed to bring glory and honor to God. 
He is designed to fellowship with God. The spiritual and the physical are connected the way God intended them to be. Perfect. Pure. Undefiled. Innocent. Righteous. Man. And something happens. Sin. And sin is worse than the virus I get in my computer. It doesn't just tweak the code so it doesn't function quite as well. It destroys the code. It separates the physical from the spiritual. The information, the Spirit of God, my spirit, it says, Adam and Eve, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And they did the moment they ate of it. But if you and I would have been standing there as spectators watching, we'd have looked at Adam and Eve and said, they look good to me. My computer can have a terrible virus. And I walk in and go, God, what a beautiful machine. Doesn't work. Adam and Eve, the connection was broken between the spirit and the physical. Death. Something had happened. Something had gone dramatically wrong. We went from the physical and the spiritual being in perfect harmony to total disconnect. Spiritual death. When sin, lawlessness, enters into humankind. And like my computer, if I just go buy the next new computer and the next new computer and the next new computer until I've bought every generation of computer there ever was or ever going to be, it still doesn't work if the code's not changed. The virus isn't removed. And like that, humankind has been reproducing new physical specimens since Adam begat Seth, begat, begat, begat. You could say, Adam passed on his genetic code to his son Seth, who passed it on to his son, who passed it on to his son, who passed it on to his son. God tried to clean it up with Noah, and it just came right back, didn't it? It never did go away. And ever since then, we have generation after generation after generation of new hardware, new humans, still broken, still spiritually disconnected, the physical and the spiritual. Sin killed the spirit. It died. Boy, we have a problem. There is no man on planet Earth smart enough to fix that problem. I can take my computer to a lot of different people and they can get rid of my viruses. There's no one on this earth that's ever been born, ever lived, or ever will live that could fix the brokenness in mankind. We have a problem. And when you look at that problem, it shouldn't take us long to see there's no human fix to this problem. We could reproduce generation after generation and, and man in its prideful state can say, man, we're just getting better and better and better and better. Each generation's better, smarter, more talented, this, that. It's just not true. We're broken. We're broken. What's the result of that brokenness? Adam was pure, holy, 
we are defiled. We are stained. We are contaminated. Adam was totally innocent. He had never, ever, ever sinned. We're guilty. Sin. We're guilty. With Adam, he was walking with the Lord. He, he was in the presence of God. He had the blessings of God. Mankind, after sinned, is open to the wrath of God because of his justice. Adam walked in righteousness in the garden. We are unrighteous ever since sin came into the world. Broken. Something beyond human ability needed to be done. And yet, and this is the catch, and yet it required a human to correct the problem. In Genesis 3.15, it says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman. God is speaking to Satan, the serpent, after he has deceived Adam and Eve. And he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. That little bruise on the heel, Satan thought he'd won when they nailed Jesus to a cross. When Jesus was nailed to that cross and rose again, he crushed the head of Satan. He broke his power. And back in Genesis, God had said, the seed of woman, a human. But it's beyond human's ability. In Genesis 1.26, I'm going backwards one, Mike. In Genesis 1.26, this is in creation. And God says this, he says, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Man is created in the image and likeness of God, Adam and Eve. The picture is perfect. And then notice what it says, And let them rule. Over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God's plan of creating earth and all that we see, who was created to rule over it? Man. And Satan deceived Adam and Eve, and sin came, and man became spiritually dead. Unfit to rule. And then he told Satan, he says, the seed of the woman's going to crush your head. God is telling us there's going to be a human involved to do this thing that's humanly impossible to do. How is it going to work? It's called the incarnation. It's called the incarnation. I'm going to go through some scriptures and I'm not sure how this is going to work. It works in my mind, but sometimes my mind doesn't work so well. But I want to read through some scriptures and kind of take us not on a, a continuous trip to how the incarnation happened, but I think enough pieces to give us an idea of this amazing thing that took place at Christmas. I'm going to start in John chapter 1, 
verse 1. And not all these are going to be on the board. There's just a few too many. But John 1, 1. In, begin, in the beginning was the Word. Right away, my mind goes to Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning was God. In Genesis 1, 1. First thing. And here in John 1, 1, it starts out, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Whatever this Word thing is. He was in the beginning with God. Well, he's a he. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He created all things. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. We call him John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He wasn't the light, but he came to testify about the one who was the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world. The world was made through him. The world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own didn't even receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but were born of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning was the Word. Who is the Word? Jesus. If you read that and just put Jesus' name in there, that's who it's talking about. In the beginning was the Word. He was Jesus, was with God. Jesus was God. Through Jesus, all things were created. Jesus is the giver of life. He is the light. This is all about Jesus. From the beginning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So how did he become flesh? Hopefully you're reading the Christmas story in Matthew and Luke, but in Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus, or to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Remember, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of Satan. It says, with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 7.14, if you're writing it down. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God's with us. A virgin. 
Some theologians, modern theologians, liberal theologians are attacking the virgin birth. Why wouldn't they attack the virgin birth? If it's not a virgin birth, it's not the incarnation of God. If it's not the virgin birth, everything that took place afterwards, the atonement, the whole thing, it's all for naught. Jesus, the Son of God, seed of woman, seed of God. And think, all this is being wrote, written so far before Jesus was born. He's still in heaven. I like to imagine, as you've discovered, can you imagine what it would be like if as Jesus the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, they've been fellowshipping, communing for eternity. And whatever the fullness of the glory there is, that's where he was. And now the Father's coming up with his plan, and he's saying, Son, God, you're going to go live as a baby. You're going to be born. You're going to grow in a woman's womb. God of the universe, the one who folk and created everything. Man, I bet, I bet if the angels could hear this plan being explained, they had to just have their jaws drop open if they've got one. Wondering, are you kidding me? The creator of the universe is going to become one of them? And in Philippians 2, verse 5 and through 8, it says, Have this attitude that's in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. All of this is taking place. Jesus willingly coming to earth as God and taking on flesh and becoming all God yet all man. To accomplish a purpose that was laid out back in Genesis. The seed of a woman is going to crush the head of Satan. It's going to break the power of Satan. But it's humanly impossible because that code was broken and, and that broken code has been passed on for, since Adam to you and me. Something had to happen that was beyond human, but it took a human. All of a sudden, God's plan is starting to make a little sense, even though I don't understand how it can all work. How does it all work? How does the Holy Spirit conceive a child in a woman's womb? How? I don't know. But I understand why better. The necessity of it. Born of the Spirit. We must be born again. You know, that phrase got a lot of ridicule back when we, were, when we were younger, back in the era of Jimmy Carter. How many of you remember him? Anybody know what he did? <laughs> he was a president once, for some of you. That <laughs> but this born-again phrase, it was almost mocked and laughed at. And what do you mean, be born again? I mean, it's like they could have took it right out of Nicodemus's mouth. How can you be born again? What a stupid thing to say. And the Bible says in John 3.3, 3, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Why is it so important? Because when we are born again, we are born by the Spirit of God. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God, the design that He had for us in the beginning with Adam and Eve, is restored in the life of a new believer. Our spirit is quickened. It's made alive. You know, in the garden, Adam and Eve had free will, much to our dismay. But they did, and they chose wrong. When Jesus came to earth in the form of a man, he had free will. In Hebrews, it tells us that he was tempted just like every one of us. It says, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are. And the last part of the verse is the key. Yet he was without sin. We are given a free will. We're born again. The connection has been restored. The Spirit of God lives in us in union with our spirit. We still have a free will, but we now have the ability to make right choices. We now have the ability, the power of God, the spiritual and the physical are finally reconnected in the life of a believer when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's a miracle. It is a miracle. In John 3, 3, in the next, I think it's about, if you look at about four verses there, three different times he says, you must be born of the Spirit of God. You must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit of God. You must be born of the Spirit of God. It's important. It's critical. Without it, we're like new hardware, each generation that is just as messed up as the previous generation. In fact, worse. For what it's worth, I was doing a lot of watching some videos and reading about genetics. Now, some of you may remember I was a biology major. Pretend like that never happened. Because I discovered I don't remember hardly anything. <laughs> but some atheist geneticists have proven this somehow. That mankind has lost approximately 50% of its genetic code that was originally in man. We are losing some every generation. As a matter of fact, they say, in about 50 years, man should become extinct. Not 50, not years, 50 years. Check that. We're halfway to becoming extinct. Now, 50 years, that'd be scary. I won't be here. I will be extinct. <laughs> Halfway to becoming extinct. So this concept that somehow or other we're just getting better and better and better is baloney. Even the atheists know that if they study genetics. I'm going to read 1 John 3, 1 through 10. And this is kind of the scripture I want to focus on. And it says this. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. 
That is so powerful. Look how great his love is that he has made it possible for us to be called children of God. And we accept Christ, it says, and we are. For this reason, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. And then he says, beloved, now we are the children of God. Beloved, in other words, my loved ones. That's who we are, children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We're not a finished product. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has been has seen him or knows him. Now before I finish reading this section of scripture, I, I need to just elaborate. This is where people get into this doctrine of perfectionism, that somehow we're perfect after we're Christians. I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> just look at us. Look at Moses. Look at David. Look at them all. But what it's meaning here, what it's saying here as we continue through this, is me, it means once we're born again, we will not habitually, willfully, deliberately, by design, continue to keep sinning. It should be absolutely, it is impossible for a born-again believer. That's what he's saying. When we sin, it's because we cave in to temptation. And the Holy Spirit will convict us. And we can respond and restore our fellowship with the Father. So I don't want you to think, once you get born again, you're perfect, because you aren't. But in Christ, I am. And so he says, little children, make sure when no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. You know, Bob was talking about being deceived this morning in adult Sunday school. We need to know the truth so deception doesn't get us. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. And then look at this next statement. The Son of God appeared. In other words, Jesus took on flesh and showed up on planet Earth in the form of a man for this purpose. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. To crush him under the heel of the seed of woman. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. Whose seed? The seed of the Holy Spirit. God's seed abides in us. God's seed and woman's seed when we are born again. The God, totally God, Jesus, the man, Jesus, totally man. We are born again. Because he is born of God. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor the one who does not love his brother. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. What's the works of the devil? Sin. Now not just the consequences of sin, but destroy sin. I like that. The consequences of my sin are bad, but I know I'm going to sin again. 
But he destroys sin. How can he destroy sin? What about Jesus destroyed sin? Well, we can go to the cross and all of that, but that follows this truth. His righteousness destroys sin. His righteousness. He was righteous. He was tempted just as you and I are tempted in every way that we are tempted. It says he was tempted like us. He can understand us. He can sympathize with us, but he never ever sinned. A holy, righteous Jesus went to the cross to destroy sin. His righteousness destroyed sin. And it destroyed the consequences of sin. The power of sin is broken. Why did he do this? Why did God do this? Because he hates sin. Did anybody not know that? He hates sin. He's a holy God. He can't, can't abide with sin. He hates, he hates sin. He destroys it with his righteousness. But he didn't stop there. He also destroys it by providing the rebirth, the new birth for us. We have been reborn. And I know Pastor Bob was talking about this this, this morning. We have been reborn with the righteousness of Christ. We have been reborn with the righteousness of Christ. What does that mean? That means we have the power to overcome sin. We do not have to succumb to sin. We once again have a choice. The power of sin and the power of death has been broken through the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness he has now given to us in the new birth. That's amazing. That's beyond our natural comprehension or you should all be jumping up and down and hooting and hollering like the Vikings actually scored. It's, it's so, so much better than anything we can imagine. I mean, you could beat this drum forever. We have the righteousness of Christ. We have the ability, amen, we have the ability to not sin. Where before the unbeliever does not have that ability. The power of sin, the power of death is still in place. That's why Jesus says, you must be born again. You must be born by the Spirit of God. You must be born by the Spirit of God. You must be born by the Spirit of God. Or you're not a child of God. But if you are, you are a child of God. That's how much he loves us. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, sin, and he also came to deliver us. And he came to deliver anyone who would. I love the way that's written in a couple of different spots. All who would be free. All who would be free. Bob stressed out that he died for everybody. But only those who would will be able to receive that new birth. I think I heard him talking about Darren giving him a Cadillac. I want one too. In adult Sunday school. But, but, there is a gift so much greater. The righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ. Given to us. Why? Why did he do that? Most of us in the previous lives learned John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
And we just read in 1 John. John's hitting that horn again. You know what? It's because he loved you. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that he would call us children of God because his love over us. His purpose, relationship. God wants a relationship. You know, we're in the doing the story on a typical Sundays right now. And it's all about God's plan from the beginning to restore relationship with man. And we jump forward the new birth. The new birth. Being born again. Because of what Christ did and who he was. We can have relationship with him. And we can have a relationship with one another that's different from the world's relationship with other people. And how I'm repeating it again, but this righteousness that we have, that you have if you're a believer, it's not mine. Bob was talking about this this morning. Y'all should have been in adult Sunday school. It's imputed. It's it's not my rights. rights. It's not in me. I can't do it on my own. But it's imputed righteousness. What I needed was righteousness. To be with a righteous God, to fellowship with a righteous God, I needed to be righteous. The human problem, there was no way. But the righteousness of Christ is imputed on us, given to us of Jesus. What an amazing gift. This is why the incarnation had to occur. You may not think about it often. Maybe at Christmas is the only time. But the incarnation had to happen and it had to happen the way that it did. It was a human impossibility but it took a human to be involved. What a crazy plan. God's ways aren't our ways. Amen. And that's what happened. God, the seed of God, the seed of woman. And because of this, because of the incarnation, we have the access to be born again. The new birth. Man, don't ever back away from that phrase when someone spits it in your face. You doggone right I'm born again. I have the righteousness of Christ. What do you think of that? <laughs> That'll throw him back a little. But remember, we're restored to that place like Adam was before sin. You know, sin was, he was pure and he became defiled, contaminated, stained. We needed to be made pure through Christ, his righteousness. Adam was guilty and we were guilty. We were sinners. But there is forgiveness through Christ. The justice of God re required his wrath upon the guilty. There's this word propitiated or the propitiation of Christ. What that means is I needed a propitiation for me. I needed someone to appease the justice of God because I couldn't do it. Jesus, because of the, because of the incarnation, appeased the wrath of God in the life of a believer.
It just gets better and better and better. And probably the best of the whole lot is Adam went from righteous to unrighteous with a bite of fruit. And every generation of humankind since then is born unrighteous. We needed righteousness to be back in fellowship with God, to break the power of sin. And there was no way. I mean, just think how many hundreds and hundreds of years the Jewish people tried to keep the law, trying to become righteous, and all it was doing was proving they couldn't do it. And neither could we. But he imputed the righteousness of Christ to us. So when we talk about Christmas, a baby in a manger, all of that is really neat. It's a beautiful picture, but it's a beautiful story. But the real story is God in the flesh to impute his righteousness to you and I that we, so we can be born again and be back in fellowship with him. There was no other way. The incarnation had to happen. Let's pray. Lord, <clears throat> I thank you that as a, as a nation we celebrate this holiday. Much of the world celebrates this holiday we call Christmas. God, I pray that, that we would have every opportunity to remind people and really in our own spirit keep our eye on the fact that Christ is the key to Christmas. That the incarnation, you, God, coming to earth in the form of human flesh. And dying on a cross to pay the price. And imparting to us the righteousness of Jesus. God, help us to have, have the words, the ability to share those truths in a way that even an unbelieving world could understand us. Help us to understand in even greater ways of the amazing miracle of Christmas. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here who has never truly been born again and doesn't even know what that means, when discover the truth that without Christ we are sinners condemned. But as we confess our sins, repent of those sins, accept Jesus' death on my behalf, embrace His resurrection, and surrender our life to him, we are born again. And I pray that there would be no one here that leaves this place today who has not been born again by the Spirit of God. Lord, I pray also as we go our way, you would watch over us, protect us, keep us safe on the roads as we travel. And God, there's just going to be more and more travel as this holiday season takes place. Watch over each one. God, we pray for our the Christmas program and the young people that will be sharing with us uh, during next Sunday service. God, that even as relatives, friends, or family, or grandparents come, that the, the true message of Christmas gets out. And Lord, we ask this all now in Jesus' name. Amen.